all the brothers that uh, worked yesterday uh, just volunteered their Saturday to spread all the dirt to help get our preschool lawn, and then they worked in the marketplace down here for the city. They just did it as a uh, service from Valley to clean up the city. So when you look at the marketplace across from Shell, it looks good because our men worked all day yesterday in the morning. Thanks, guys. We appreciate it. <laughs> and uh, had a great time. So we really appreciate the ESL meeting they had yesterday. There's more things going on here. I came by here one Friday night, and there were so many cars. I thought, well, I'm not speaking. <laughs> and maybe that's why there were so many cars. And so many different Bible studies going. It's, it's wonderful. We thank God for all of you ministers uh, on all kinds of levels, different ways. Thank God we got a nursery and sisters that oversee it. We've got children's church. We got youth group. We got Sunday school. Uh, one sister said she would join our church, but she didn't know if her health could take it. And so you have to have good health to make everything around here. But. Uh, uh, I want you to turn with me to John 10, and uh, as we go to John 10, 28, I'm using it as a diving board to uh, continue this theme, can a true believer ever be lost? And today, I just want to look at uh, four different works uh, of the Holy Spirit. We've looked at what the Father has done that seems to give us full assurance that He can keep us. Uh, what the Son has done that assures us that our salvation is anchored in someone more than our own strength. And now I just want to look at four works of the Holy Spirit uh, that seem to me to shout that whom God saves, whom He begins to work in, uh, whom He makes His sheep, He will in some way see that they arrive safe on arrival. Uh, let's just look at verse 27. We've been looking at this the last few weeks as our point of departure. Verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. You're not a sheep if you don't follow. You're not a sheep if you don't follow. You're not a sheep if you don't follow. So you start telling me about these people living like whatever, living what, and uh, they say, I was saved in the third grade. I was saved in, you know, in conception. I was saved somewhere. I don't care about the when. Do you follow? Do you follow Christ? You do not. You do not love a God you will not obey. You do not know a God you will not obey. Jesus said it throughout his upper room discourse. If you love me, you'll do as you please. No, you'll keep my commandments. So obedience is a true mark of the believer, never perfect. We're not a people free from stumbling. We're not free from having to confess sin. We're not free from marital spats. We're not free from getting uh, a little rile maybe on the highway once every five years. Uh, those kinds of things. But uh, he said, if you're my sheep, you hear me. You, you can, and I think if you never hear his word, 
I would ask, if I'm a sheep, you're not according to Jesus, do I do anything he says? If you don't, you can be religious to your toenails, you won't make it. You, you, you've got to be someone that from the heart, I, he said in 1 John 5, to those who love God, his commandments are not burdensome. It's not hard to obey someone you love. But if you don't love him, you, you're never going to find a place to want to obey him. So he goes on. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Today, I'm going to deal with the Holy Spirit. Next week, I'm going to be speaking on why we take communion, because I feel many of you don't understand uh, what communion really means. And then for our final message in this series, I'm going to speak on the if passages, uh, if you continue, and talk about those passages and examine them in light of the security of the believer. What about the passages we're told to follow, to obey, if you don't? And so I'll try to deal with problem texts and uh, verses that may say there's no guarantee you will make it. And there is none. If you don't follow, you, you won't, we have no assurance we will make it if we don't follow. There's no assurance. Get saved, as it were, live as I please, and, and you're there. No, sheep follow. Now, let's look at four words of the Holy Spirit uh, in relation to our salvation and see uh, what bearing they have on this matter of the security of the believer. Let's look at that. Uh, John 14, Jesus made a promise in the upper room that goes like this. Verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. 16, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. And in the Greek, another of the same kind of helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of, spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you alongside of you and will be in you. Old Testament saints had the spirit alongside. He came and went at will. He came upon Samson. He left. But Christ is saying, he is with you now, you disciples, there's coming a time he will be in you, and he will be in you forever. Now, let's look at a passage in Titus, the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. Titus chapter 3. I'm listening for pages. You don't trust anyone that doesn't open their Bible when they preach to you. Uh, and I don't need an iPad. A Bible will do. Uh, verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Now, help me out on language. Is that future tense, present tense, past? Can you ever say in this life, I've been saved? Have you ever heard of Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace have you been saved? And it's a 
tense in Greek that it happened, it remains. Here, it's just a completed tense. We've been saved, not because of works done by us in righteousness. Now, I ask you this. If we never did anything good enough to be saved, can we ever do anything bad enough to be unsaved? I just ask the question. I have to do funerals every once in a while for people who commit suicide. And people are always asking me, did they go to heaven? Didn't they? And I say, if they were sheep, they went to heaven. Well, is it a sin? Yeah. But they might have cussed three minutes before they died. Is that a sin? Am I telling you to cuss before you die? Am I telling you to sin? No. What undoes you? Well, good works didn't save you to start with. So he saved you when you were doing everything but good works. But according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, when we poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The Holy Spirit was very active in making you a child of God. He spoke this to uh, Nicodemus. A man must be born of the water and of spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. And so Nicodemus is thinking of natural birth. And he, he asked the question, can I be, enter my mother's womb and be born twice? Christ said, no, no. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a spiritual pregnancy, a spiritual conception, a spiritual birth unto eternal life, that the Holy Spirit, like the wind that's unpredictable, that blows and we can't see him, but we see the effects that he leaves. The Spirit works on you. He convicts. He draws. He uh, convinces you of your need of Christ. He convicts of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. And so this whole process, you know, a woman can be pregnant without her knowing it. Won't take long, but she doesn't know it necessarily. Takes a while. And then all of a sudden there's signs. Things are changing in her body. Uh-oh, something might be going on, and nine months will tell the tale, normally. And so it is, it's mysterious that in regeneration, I am passive in it. I, God is doing something. I've heard the same songs, the same sermons. Uh, I've been in church. But all of a sudden, it takes something starts generating in me new kind of life. A renewal starts in me even before I've even maybe professed faith. I'm not even aware of what's going on, but this life is growing in me and growing in me and I see this going on through conviction, through the Spirit of God causing me to want to repent and turn. I begin to start loving the thought of Christ. I'm always afraid of hell. You know, if the only reason you ever want to be saved is not go to hell, that's not enough to go to heaven. You've got to come to love Christ. Anybody in their right mind just say, do you want to go to hell? Oh, yeah, I do. I've been thinking about it quite a bit. No, 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 no. Say, would you like to follow Christ? Oh, I'm not interested. Does he like to do this, this, this? 
No, he doesn't. Matter of fact, he's against it. Forget it. I don't want anyone to mess with the way I want to live. So that, that's the test. But when the Spirit is regenerating and he begins washing the inner man, it's like a bath. I think faith is the end of the pregnancy when the baby comes outside the mother's body and the doctor smacks and you hear this, ah! And in the new birth, the first cry is, I believe. I want Christ. I trust Christ. I leave all of my works. I'm not relying on any other righteousness. I'm not trusting church, works, law, any. I trust Christ. That's the first cry of the new birth. And who was working in the heart? Who was bringing about this life? Who was washing? Who was convicting? The Holy Spirit. Now, will all of this process end ultimately in an abortion? Will it be aborted? Will it be for not? No, I don't think so. This birth is supernatural, and what God begins in the heart, he said he will not stop till he completes it. So the Spirit was actively taking a part in bringing you to Christ, giving you new life, and regenerating you, washing you, bringing you out of the old life. So he's actively involved. Second thing he is doing in the believer is he indwells the believer. Now, if I ask you um, that, if, if I ask this question, are, are we a, no, it's not we, you. Are you a Holy Ghost believer? Wait, okay, I want, I want to show a hand because you, you're so sealed at the mouth, I can't hear any of that. <laughs> if I ask you, are you a Holy Ghost believer? Yeah. Raise your hand. Yeah, yeah. You're not a Christian if you're not. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, God doesn't even claim you. Romans 8, 9, right? Every believer is in the realm of the Spirit. Romans 8 says you're either in the flesh as your realm. I see you either in that, and that's condemned, that's Adam, or you're in the Spirit, okay? So we are holy. See, but as soon as I say ghost, some of you get nervous. Uh-oh, he's in one of those sanctified on fire churches. Well, I don't mind it. I'd rather be in a sanctified on fire church than a non-sanctified frozen church. So I, I, don't, I don't mind a little fire and a little sanctifying. But your problem. I'm a Holy Ghost Christian. You ought to be. You're not saved if you don't. But the Holy Spirit is the lost member of the Godhead in the conservative church. They don't talk about him. You know, that might make you charismatic. Well, it helps some of you. I do have spiritual gift, too. That's called the charismata. See, we get all this reacting and polarizing and, and all of that. We are spirit people. We were born of the Spirit. We were brought by the Spirit. We're indwelt by the Spirit. He's turned our body into his temple, his dwelling place. He lives inside every believer's body. He told the Corinthians who were continuing to be immoral and doing outrageous things as believers in 1 Corinthians 6, cut it out, cut it out. Why? Don't you know that your body 
is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which has been bought at a price, and you're not your own. Your body belongs to Christ. So whatever you do with your body now as a believer, you identify Christ with the deed, whether it's sin, if it's good, don't take Christ where he doesn't want to go. That's what he's saying. Now, in this indwelling ministry, uh, there's at least four things he does in that relationship that lets you know he's on board. Four things, at least. Uh, first of all, uh, he fills the believer. He fills the believer. We're commanded to be filled with the Spirit in Ephesians 5, 18. We're told to walk in the Spirit. I take being filled with the Spirit since he's a person. I, you know, I used to think of the Spirit as a, a substance, like uh, water. Uh, you're half full. I'm a quarter full. Now, he's a person. I didn't get an arm of the Spirit. I didn't get his leg. I got all of it. You either got all of him or you don't have any of him. He's a person, right? Well, what do you mean to be filled with him? To be filled with him is basically be filled with those qualities that come from him. Be filled with those qualities that come from the Spirit. Well, what are they? Well, they sound like this. The fruit, the evidence of the Spirit in the life is love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, if we made your epitaph, could we choose one of those nine words to describe you? Here lies Sister Love, who stayed mad as a wet hen most of her church life. Or here we bury Sister Lamentations who was always poor me, poor soul, never had joy a day in her life. Joy, what's there to be happy about? Joy, nobody left me any money. Joy, no, no, but when the believer is being controlled by the Spirit, guess what? Love, joy, and peace right there. Telltale signs, and you can tell when you're having those qualities in your life, whether you got self-control or, or if you got a short fuse. Uh, if you're gentle or if you're brusque and you're abrupt and, well, that's just the way it is. My people tell it like it is. Well, my people tell it like it is too. But I thought you became a new person. I thought you were Christ's person, not your family. See, what's wrong with some of you? You've never thrown off the family patterns you were born with and forgot you're in a new family, and you can't drag the old family patterns into this family. The old family yelled at each other, bore grudges, talked to each other, maybe had all kinds of dysfunction. Well, you're in a new family with a new father. And you got to learn to relate in this family like he relates. Because your family template was not inspired, believe me. I, I know you had a great family. Great. But the new family is to operate off the qualities of the Spirit. How do you settle differences? Well, we bear a grudge. We're never going to forget it. You hear it? Oh, thank you. Uh, what, what chapter and verse you get that from? Uh, Howard 9.1. Okay. He fills believers. I know he's in me because his qualities are manifested when he's controlling me from within. 
Two, uh, he grieves in the believer. He grieves. I know he's on board. Look at Ephesians 4.30. Ephesians 4.30. He says, And stop grieving the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Well, what grieves the Spirit? That word grieve means to make sorrowful, to make sad. Uh, what, what may, you mean the Spirit in me will grieve? That's what he says. Stop grieving him. What grieves him? Watch. Let all bitterness held over anger is normally bitterness. And wrath, and that's the word for outburst. Uh, it's what we call the uh, blow-up kind of anger. And the other is just regular anger, which is, I won't blow up, but I will seethe forever. It's the low burn. I'm mad at you. I won't have any more relationship with you. Did you blow up? No, it's a passive-aggressive man. They're the scariest man that I know. I can't stand passive-aggressives. I cannot, because they look nice, but I, underneath, they're boiling. And you don't watch out when you're not looking. They'll hit you upside the head. I'd a lot rather be around the guy that he looks mad so I can figure him out. But the ones that look nice, that are seething, real scary, get rid of it, get rid of it, and clamor, loud speaking, slander, always talking down people. People are never safe out of your company. They'll tell you anything good when they're with you, but don't get away from them. Uh, along with all badness, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Guess what? The Spirit, when you're not taking care of anger, forgiveness, kindness, he starts grieving. He starts grieving. And uh, he, he just, you start feeling sadness. So, so something's wrong. What's wrong? I, I feel like there's something uh, not firing right. What's going? Oh, it's the wonderful ministry of God's Spirit uh, working on you. And many times, he's working on a hard heart to get you to say, I'm sorry. Or working on your heart to say, let that grudge go. Or get rid of that bitterness, uh, that unburied hatchet you've had for years. Grudge bearing, negative in relationships, down on people. Always, wherever you are, there will be misunderstanding. You'll see to it. You'll see to it. And, and, and it grieves the spirit. And he, he wrote the Corinthians about a sinning brother, most likely the brother living with his uh, stepmother, 2 Corinthians 7. He said, know this, that godly sorrow, sorrow that God brings to the heart, produces repentance that is not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world leads to death. A lot of people go to a bar and get semi-drunk because they are grieving, they are in sorrow, maybe in pain, and so they want a, a sedative to uh, control an aching heart. And so the bar is about the best they can find. But what's the end product? They get no better. They become an alcoholic. But sorrow in the believer is produced by the Spirit to get us to repent of the sin we've been doing that's causing the Spirit to grieve. Have you ever had him grieve in you? 
See, I, you say yes when I look this way. <laughs> but at least you said it. Good. Somebody over there said yes. If you're a Christian, you know what it is to grieve him. See, the Spirit in you knows how to make you miserable enough to want to cooperate. Ask Jonah. If you're God's child, I know you've all raised children and you, you've had them pull this number. Well, the others do it. The other kids do it. Have you ever had your dad say, you're not the other kid. You're mine. Well, the other kids cuss. Son, don't try it. I haven't even paid for a plot yet. Don't try it. Because what the other kids say doesn't get said around here. You say it in your dreams, but you better hope I'm not in the room. You're in a different family. Well, I feel it. I just, you're not running this family. The Holy Spirit's in you. You've been bought with a price. The Father's going to teach you to come to talk, live, walk the way he wants because he's got too much invested to let you not live the way he created you to live. So he grieves. He says in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, stop quenching the Spirit. And the word for quenching the Spirit means simply to throw water on a fire. It just, it was that way, the simple quench the fire, put it out. And he tells believers, stop quenching. And in the context, they were despising prophetic gifts. So they were in their despising a divine work of God. He said, you're quenching my spirit. Cut that out. Cut that out. So the spirit can be quenched. You know what? I noticed quenching and grieving go together. Some of you, you haven't sensed the presence of God or maybe the fruit of the Spirit in your life for some time. Because if you've been in sin, uh, if, you, if you've not been sensitive to God's Spirit, you're just putting water, putting water on. And, and you know, you've got to want Him to fill your life. You've got to want Him. He's there. See, He's present in every believer. He's prominent in some he wants to be preeminent in all. He's not just having him present. You want him in charge, in charge. Well, uh, finally, he will never leave you. He will never leave you. And he said that in John. But people often bring up David when he committed adultery and when he had Uriah killed. And when he repents in Psalms 51, he prays, Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Now, remember, he's an Old Testament saint. He saw the Spirit come and go on different people. The Spirit came upon the men who built the uh, tabernacle and got, gave them divine wisdom and skill to build the tabernacle. Um, he came and went upon Samson. Of anybody I wouldn't think I'd want to come upon, it was Samson. He had no moral life. He was a renegade, but God used him to defeat Israel's enemies. But he's not, please don't preach him as a biographical life to emulate. Uh-uh. God just sovereignly came and went. Came and went. He didn't live in uh, Samson. But for us, he lives within us. David had seen the spirit leave Saul when Saul disobeyed. And he saw Saul when demons came upon him, and he'd clap. <laughs> Bring a musician 
to play away the blues. I'm feeling depressed. I'm feeling oppressed. Because demons were sent from God's presence to torment him. And in those torment spells, he's throwing javelins. Like an insane man, he chases David all over the Judean wilderness. And one time David said, why do you chase a dead dog? Why do you chase a flea? I want to preach a sermon sometime on chasing fleas. Some people spending all their life chasing the wrong issues. David's not your problem, Saul. You're your problem. You are grieving God, and God is withdrawing his spirit. And David said, oh, Lord, I've sinned greatly. Don't do to me what you did to Saul. God said, I won't, but I want to kill four of your boys. You said to Nathan, the man who took that lamb and killed it, should pay back fourfold, and I'm going to make you bury four sons for your sin. You see, sin never pays in good dividends. It always costs. You can't sin without paying a horrendous price. So, uh, he will be with us forever. So, the Spirit indwells the believer. Third thing about the Spirit, he baptizes us into the body of Christ. Turn to 1 Corinthians. In the Bible, there are six baptisms. Three are dry and three are wet. Every time you see baptism, don't look for water. Three dry baptisms. Baptism of fire, John, Matthew 3. There's one coming after me who shall baptize you in the Holy Ghost and in fire. And then fire was judgment, will burn up the chaff. Baptized into Moses, 1 Corinthians 10.1, dry baptism. Uh, spirit baptism is a dry baptism. Baptism meant to be identified with what you were baptized into. Listen to Paul, verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in or by one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. Now, Pentecostals and conservatives have differed over the baptism of the Spirit. Uh, when I grew up, we understood the baptism of the Spirit to be experiential, to be power, uh, may bring tongues, but it was the sought thing. Uh, I understand that to be more in the realm of Spirit filling. The Spirit baptism that all believers partake of is the baptism that at the moment of faith in Christ, you are immersed into Christ. And he goes on to say, you become a member of his body. Now, I'd ask you, what, what part of the body do you think you are? Now, some of you think you're the head. That's been covered. There's only one head of the church, right? So don't start that high up. At least start from the shoulders down. How many of you think you're the baby toe? Okay, yeah, okay, but you're in. You're in. Doesn't matter. You're in. 
How many want to give up a baby toe? I don't. The only thing I want to get rid of are the warts. If it's a living member, I like to keep it. And 130 times in the New Testament, you are said to put, be put in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, with Christ, co-in Christ, Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. You are a member of the body of Christ, and Christ is the head. Now, let me ask you something. Do you think the head plans to lose any member of his body? Seems logical. You don't want to lose anything in your body. And part of the great tragedy of old age is you lose a whole lot you didn't want to lose. But you will. Sight, ability to run, do a lot of things. Um, the Scottish woman said, so that means I'm not only safe in his hand, I'm as safe as his hand. I'm in the body of Christ. I've been immersed by the Spirit. Blink twice if you kind of get it. <laughs> okay. So I was immersed into the body of Christ. I'm a member of his body. And so I'm a part of this new creation. And so I just think that the head of the church doesn't plan to lose anything put in him. It's now, he makes you vitally joined to him in life. You know, here's something he said in Romans 6, don't you know that you've been baptized into Christ's death, baptized into his burial, baptized into his resurrection, and you think that could all be undone? Uh, we, we just don't understand our, our, our salvation in our Timothy class, I handed out the 33 things you get the moment you were saved. Lewis Chafer put it in his third volume of Systematic Theology. 33 things happened to me the moment I believed that I had to study the Bible for years to find out. Justified, accepted, put in the beloved, on and on. You see, you're more saved than you realize. You, you got, this is no just taking a glass of water or I was raised on the third pew. Well, you're more likely to miss it and a guy that just was introduced to Christ out, he says, look what you get when you come to Jesus. It's, it, you're rich, you're rich. Don't want to be excited, uh, calm down. Um, let's go to 2 Corinthians, the fourth thing. If we have any time, and I'll make time maybe for 10 minutes Q&A and see if we can have an intelligent question. Uh, let's look at uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 21. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us. How many believers have been anointed? I think so. And I think it's a, a picture of the Spirit. He, he's come and it's considered like an anointing. And who has also put his seal on us and given us his Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Now turn to Ephesians 4.30 that we looked at a while ago. 4.30, he'll repeat this in a way. And stop grieving the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The word seal, if you looked it up in a good uh, Greek dictionary, uh, it was used uh, marking cattle, marking even slaves. Uh, 
In Revelation 7, he put the seal of God in the forehead of the 144,000 Jews during the tribulation to protect them from the plagues that were going to be poured out on the earth. So the seal was used to show possession, ownership. It was used to guarantee protection. You, you think it's a remarkable thing that you write that letter, you put it in an envelope, and you put a 48-cent stamp, and you just bought the protection of the United States government to deliver that piece of mail. 48 cents, and you come under the federal government protection that that will arrive at its destiny, or we will prosecute whoever interrupted it. That's a, that's a whole lot of protection for 48 cents. It's a seal. We guarantee safe delivery. Now, when God saved you, he had the Holy Spirit. Look at verse chapter 1, then we'll wrap up. Look at chapter 1 of Ephesians, verse 13. In him, in Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The moment God sealed you or saved you and you were immersed into Christ, he gave the Holy Spirit to act as a seal himself. He, he doesn't come and stamp you. He himself is the seal that seals you into Christ. And it goes on to say he's the down payment or guarantee that there will be a safe delivery and there will be a completion of your salvation. Now, uh, so look at this. If I could, how could I illustrate this? Uh, I get saved. I'm in Christ. I'm in the Son's hand, John 10, 28. I'm in the Father's hand. And then when I got in Christ, God sent the Holy Spirit says, take and seal him in. Because someday he's going to get lost again. You mean... I got to get out of the son's hand, out of the father's hand, and break the seal of the spirit who is omnipotent to get out. Anybody ever had any home canning? I see you came through the depression. No, I'm sorry, Pam. Uh, my mother canned a lot when we were all at home. Well, I'll tell you, the three older kids, uh, it's a real blessing to be the youngest. I wanted to come from Safeway. They can a lot. And uh, I still remember those wax seals where my mother made jam and different things. Now, let me tell you some profound truth about the wax seal. Two things. This is brilliant. Now, I've never seen this in any commentary. It comes right out of my heart. What was in the jar couldn't get out as long as the seal was there. But the ants on the outside couldn't get in if it was sealed. Now, let's follow that picture. I'm in Christ. God says, I'm going to put a wax seal around you, but the wax is my spirit. I'm going to see you don't get out, and I'm going to see the ants don't get in. 
I want to guarantee safe delivery. I want to guarantee safe delivery. Why else see you? Some of you are going to say, well, I know folks who began and stopped. We'll talk about that the next sermon because I know more than you do. <laughs> I've baptized them. I've made them officers. They've been on the board. Like a friend of mine took over a church up in Oregon, a church of a large church, and when he started going to the board meeting, found out the chairman was in adultery and two other members of the board and uh, they ran that church. And they told the preacher what to do, how to jump, and how high. This preacher friend of mine happens to be about 6'4", and he's German. He's not intimidated, honey. He told them, I'm not leaving, you're leaving. I'm telling the whole church, on you guys, you resign, or I'm going Sunday night to tell. They resigned, and 500 people followed them. Left him with about 170 people. When I visited him, his, the parsonage was a fort under attack. Every day somebody sent hate mail, threatened him, threatened this, that. Guess what? Were those men saved? If they don't repent and give evidence, they're going to hell. You can't be in adultery and stay there and be going to heaven. He doesn't seal you into a life of sin. He seals you in Christ to change you forever. <laughs> Guess what? The big exodus, 500 leave, threats on that pastor, threats, threats. Within three years, they were running 1,000 because God got all the leaven and all the sin and all the pus out of the body so it can grow again. <laughs> now, I'm going to tell you about Valley. I really could care less how big we get. It's, I want us to stay on the right side of sin. Amen. Right side of sin. Jesus said, I'll build my church. He knows what size he wants us to be. He wants us small or big. It's all up to him. But he doesn't want us in sin. He wants us sealed in him to obey. Anybody got any questions? Are you scared to death to talk? Okay, Larry, help me out. We'll go 10 minutes. And I've placed three people. Now, you watch this. Nobody will ask a question but a woman because the men are afraid to look dumb. Oh, you got a man? Oh, okay. They've got to be intelligent. They've got to relate to the subject. I don't want to tell you your income tax. No, no I'm afraid. Uh, <laughs> explain the difference between, I think, Christ in us, as us. You've heard that expression? Uh, uh, Christ in us what? As us. As us. No. I've never heard that. Okay. So then uh, the Holy Spirit is the only one that's indwelling. Christ has all, all three members. All three members. Yeah. Indwelling. Ephesians 4, 6, the Father's in you. Uh, Colossians 1, uh, Colossians 2, 9, he, uh, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's at, uh, 127, Colossians. So Christ is in you. And then the Spirit's in you. So all three members are in you, and we are in all three members. We're in the Father, we're in the Son, and we're in the Spirit. Now, I want to know, is anything ever safer? I've got them all on board, and I'm in them. Three members indwell you. Another question pertaining to the message. 
if the believer continues to sin, does the Holy Spirit become angry at them? It, that, the big qualifying phrase is continue. If, they, if by continue you mean lifelong, let's say, uh, 1 John says they're not believers, they're professors, because he that's born of God cannot continue to practice sin, 1 John 3, 9. Why? Because the Father's seed is in them. Now, if they have a section, a period in their life where they fall down, they become ensnared in some sin, let's say weeks, months, the Spirit will grieve. He will never leave them. He'll stay on board to keep them miserable and to keep saying, come back, come back. Uh, he never said to be angry. He, he said to be sorrowful. Isn't that wonderful? Because all the anger of God was taken out at the cross. Now, it's like this. Uh, uh, your parent would say, you'd break my heart if you do that. You'd break my heart. You almost wish they'd get angry. Say, no, 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 I love you too much to get angry. You'll break my heart. We break the heart of the Spirit. And he's there bearing God's, I've done all this for you, and you do me this way. It, it's kind of like uh, Hosea. Come back, honey. I want to buy you off the block. Why did you prove unfaithful to me when I had to buy you 30 pieces of silver? And you see, if, if your sin, if you don't see it as breaking the heart of God, if all you see it as doing is breaking number nine commandment, they did that under the law. Oh, that never, God brought, bring it over the New Testament. No, it's not break. I won't tell you what commandment you broke. I'll tell you whose heart you broke, the Son and the Spirit. You're breaking our heart. We didn't save you for this. We didn't save you. So it's much more tender, I think. Someone else. We'll take two more, then we'll stop. I know your roast is cooking. Can we um, blaspheme the Holy Spirit? What's the blaspheme of the Holy Spirit? Okay, Matthew 12, I take blasphemy as a first century sin because Messiah was present and he was doing miracles that they knew Messiah would do. Even the prophets, had they have done what Jesus had done, he said, even if your own sons do it, your own sons, you say God's with them, see? But because you attribute the work of God the Son on the earth in his miracles to Satan, you're committing, Mark 3 said, an eternal kind of sin. I, I grew up, if you make fun of the Holy Spirit or let's say a tongues meeting that I would be in, or if you said that wasn't of God, that's not, watch out, you might blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Well, I don't think, no, it was God the Son on the earth and attributing his miraculous, undisputable miracles to satanic power. He said, you're committing a sin for which will bring eternal consequences. I take that to be that generation with God the Son before them. Because he says in Romans, you were once blasphemers. Even Paul said, I was once a blasphemer. I blasphemed the faith I now preach, and God saved me. So I don't think there's any eternal sin called blasphemy of the Spirit today. It's amazing how much stuff, hating God, all of this. Then Paul said, I was a blasphemer and a murderer of the church, and God saved me. Made me an apostle of all things. So I don't think it is a sin that's committed today. Thank God. One more question. Sir. Yeah, I thank God that we are 
sealed in the Holy Spirit when we're born again. And I'm wondering, I've been debating about, in my own mind and heart, is there like a second filling of the Holy Spirit? Uh, No, no, there's many, there's many. And where do I get that? Ephesians 5.18 is a present tense. Be getting continuously filled by the Spirit. Pentecostals made it a, you get saved here. Now, you need to get the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Or you need to get filled. They made a second definite work of grace. And other groups did it. Nazarenes, holiness groups, Wesleyan uh, people. Uh, There's another second definite word. That they made it. But Ephesians says, I want you to be getting continuously under the control of the Spirit. And then when you see Acts, in Acts 2.4, they were filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Right? Now, just take a concordance and look up the word filled. Uh, You go over to chapter 5, and they were filled with the Spirit. And you go over to another chapter, and they were filled with the Spirit. Wait, I thought you filled them back here. It's continuous, continuous. It happens many times. And uh, I think it was Chafer that once said, I don't believe in a second definite work. I mean, I believe in many consequent works. I need him to do something every day in me. Every day I need a fresh filling. That's what it is. Okay.